Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome once more to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Rodney Evans. Hey, guys. This is the 13th and final episode in our Ready for Anything series on finding a better way of working through pandemics. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the 12th and final space of the OS Canvas, which is compensation, how we pay and provide for the people that participate with us. That means wages, salaries, bonuses, commissions, benefits, perquisites, which is the longer version of the word perk, uh, profits, equity, all that good stuff we'll, we'll touch on at least briefly. Uh, but before we unpack that, we should, of course, check in. Definitely never heard the word perquisite before. That's exciting. <laughs> Uh, So we will check in like we do with a related question. The question for today is, what does money mean to you? So at least in the context of work and comp and salaries and all that stuff, it's always meant to me, um, at least on one level, freedom and flexibility. So making enough money to kind of lead the life that I want to lead is about having flexibility. It's about having options. It's about having choices. I think that's one of the big privileges of of having you know money, wealth, etc. Um, and the other thing is obviously it does speak at some level to like your value, your quality, your level, your reputation. You know, however you want to talk about it, how you, how the system kind of values you, whether that's the economy or a business or a partnership or what have you. And so it's certainly for me at times has been tied to. Um, you know, to ego and identity. Uh, Mm -hmm. And those are, you know, those are the two places I always go, I guess, right away. Mm -hmm. What about you? Yeah, plus one on freedom. Um, My yoga teacher often says when we're in challenging poses that freedom comes from stability. And I feel like that's a really (laughs) apt way uh, to frame how I think about money. So um, I think about money in terms of the stability that it creates for me And what that means to me is a huge amount of independence and choice. And uh, Mm -hmm. it is, I think, less egoic for me. It is much more of just a a value held around independence. And and money is the thing that links most directly to my independence. (laughs) I'm free. I'm free. Yes. As George Michael said, freedom. I won't let you down. Oh, now that's going to be in my head for the rest of the episode. You are so welcome. Okay. So today's topic is compensation. Let's talk about it in terms of pandemonium. How is comp showing up in the workplace right now from what you're seeing? Well, I think the biggest um, 
pivot from the way I normally think and talk about comp is when we're writing the book and when we're sort of doing Brave New Work generally, the the banner line around comp is basically pay, you know, pay people fairly, pay people at or above market so that money's not a big issue and then kind of put it away. Like mm-hmm. don't make money a big part of your incentive structure, a big part of your day-to-day identity, a big part of the conversation because it's distracting and it's triggering and it and it's all those things. So Get, get the bias out of it, get, get it to a transparent state, get it to a place where people are paid fairly, both in, you know, from their perception and yours as an organization, and then just put it away in the drawer. And I think what's challenging about this moment is because there's so much uncertainty, because there are tens of millions of people either furloughed or unemployed, um, it's just so top of mind. Mm-hmm. Like it's really hard to put it away right now. And I think a lot of people have you know, more of a scarcity mindset, more of a defensive mindset about money. And so I think that it's going to be just a little bit more electric and a little bit more present for the foreseeable future. And so that makes that whole approach a little bit um, challenged. That is also top of mind for me, uh, what you've just said around the scarcity mindset. And um, I'm seeing in pockets that that also translates to less courageousness for people yeah. who are employed and are, uh, you know, wanting to protect their livelihood, worried about what's happening in the economy, definitely more focused and concerned about their bonuses tied to whatever goal, <laughs> uh, speaking up and being sort of the squeaky wheel. Like I just, I've seen a lot of people who I generally find to be quite forthright, uh, lose some of their swagger in this moment. Mm-hmm, and it is, mm-hmm. a, it is about a sense of possible loss that is financial. Yeah, keep your head down. You know, it's the tallest grass that gets cut. Yeah. Like if I, if I just kind of keep my head in the sand, then maybe everything will be okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that for most of us, we're just looking at like, well, what can I do? Right. So back to getting a sense of control, you know, do I cut expenses at home? Do I, you know, move some things forward at, at work that I can sell faster or lock down? I know in my case, like I was looking at, is there AR I can collect? Is mm-hmm. there, are there expenses I can cut? Are there things I can do to kind of move things in our favor, which is, you know, directly connected to my own compensation and my own independence and my own safety. So I think everybody's head is definitely in that you know, in that lane. I don't think anybody right now is really thinking about like, you know, I should be paid more. Where's my raise? Or that like that kind of stuff that's normally no. so present is like totally gone. Like, but, I can't believe Bob got promoted. Like I'm not exactly, hearing that right Yeah, now. that's not happening. But what is happening is the stuff that sits around that, um, those wages and those salaries. So I think, and, and particularly in, in folks that make less money, um, you know, in a given year, or hourly workers, wage workers, I see people talking about the $15 minimum wage, mm-hmm. uh, you know, more and with more fervor because of what that might afford in terms of flexibility. I see lots of conversation and legislative support and argument about paid sick leave and other benefits that support people who need to be away from work for more than five seconds, which was the previous kind of mm-hmm. allowed amount. Yeah. Never, um, you know, before the pandemic, it was like, if you get sick, suck it up. Right. And now it's like, this thing takes you out of commission for two or three weeks. And so what are you going to do about that? Are you going to have every person who's an hourly worker in the country just go under? Or, you know, how are you going to deal with that? And obviously, we've seen many countries, um, our own to a much lesser extent, but step up into like the, you know, universal basic income space for a short period of time here Mm -hmm. where 
80 percent of your wages are protected or some, you know, some number of thousands of dollars a month is going to be deposited into your bank account. Things like that that um, really overlap with this space. Right. And even overlap with like the sovereignty of the organization by saying maybe the company can't pay you, Rodney, but we're going to, you know, the government's going to pay you Mm -hmm. so that you can, you know, keep working. So I think all that is obviously going on. And so I think, yeah, there's a lot more, um, a lot more people stepping up to talk about what can we do for the less fortunate on a comp basis that will make things like this more uh, weatherable. Unfortunately, it does feel like so much of the uh, trigger for that is about preventing more sickness or preventing more damage to businesses rather than truly (laughs) human centered in terms of motivation. But uh, it's still the right thing to do, even if it's coming from a totally uh, gross place. I will take my social progress any way I can get it. (laughs) Um, Whatever format it comes. Yes. Yeah. Green eggs and ham, like Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever way you want it. I I do want it. Um, But I do, I, I agree. I think that the, the basic kind of human people positive side of this has not really come out to shine. However, and I, and I, and there's a big caveat here. A lot of the organizations that we follow and that we get excited about have really stepped up and shown up in that way. So like, Mm -hmm. even though maybe the government hasn't done that, there have been companies that have said like, we're not laying anybody off. We're doing this. We're, you know, we're providing paid sick leave. We're supporting workers. We're supporting, you know, people in ways that they weren't previously, or even just making explicit what was implicit about you know what they expect and what they hope to get for for people's wages. So I I think there's there are real cool bright spots out there. It's just not necessarily a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, and I've been glad to see that modeling where it's happened. Uh, I think compensation is one of the fields that uh, people follow the leader more than some of the other fields, and because yes, yes. the tendency and the general ethos around comp in most organizations is get the most you can for the least amount of money, like just get the best bargain and get the most productivity, et cetera. When we see some organizations that are being more people positive in their approach and doing the right thing because it's the right thing for their people, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take that all day uh, because that, yeah. that tends to set trends. So what are some things for an organization to think about when it comes to comp? Let's say that they're not in, you know, they're not an airline or a hotel, but they're not a video gaming company. So they're somewhere in between on the risk profile of how they're exposed to this situation. Um, And they're trying to decide, is there any work to be done in the comp space? What are some of the things that, you know, they should be thinking about or talking about? Yeah. So what I would warn us against doing is taking the complicated approach to this. So Mm. it's easy in this moment that is chaotic and complex to, in a big system with a lot of workers, with a lot of individual cases and needs, be like, we're going to like provide everybody childcare. We're going to provide everybody a stipend or we're going to provide everybody with this thing. And the reality is that those kinds of broad sweeping policies become quite expensive quite quickly, and they will probably not meet the needs of most. So Mm -hmm. while I know that we can't triage every single person's uh, basic human needs inside an organization, what I would like us to be doing and thinking about, maybe you and I can like play with a couple of these scenarios during this podcast, is what is flexibility even over being comprehensive look like in this moment. And Mm -hmm. I've been asked about, you know, what we should do for this 
particular group who's still coming to work or this particular group who has kids at home or this particular group who is in whatever situation. And my guidance has been consistently ask them what they need, ask them what would Mm -hmm. help them, ask them about support because like maybe it's pizza or maybe it's not working on Fridays or maybe it's sick time or maybe it's, I don't, a variety of, maybe it's, you know, rides to the office. I have no idea. But uh, I think getting more intel and data from the people in the context right now is particularly important when we talk about um, monetary support. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think in in groups of an appropriate size, it's also really relevant to engage people around the problem solving too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it, we, one way we could solve a, a financial shortfall is by, you know, doing a salary reduction that affects everyone equally across the board where only three of us talked about that and made that decision and then it just happens. Um, it's quite possible, though, you could also just go to a group of 50 people and say, hey, we need to cut costs by 500K in the next 90 days who's got ideas Mm -hmm. and have a more collaborative, more open-ended, more emergent conversation before you just jump on a solution. Yes. Because it may be that there are different, to your point, different ways and ways where they're a little bit um, less balanced or less homogenous to solve those problems. I think in, in, you know, in normal peacetime, we talk a lot about sort of treating compensation in a very market focused way, Mm -hmm. in a very, um, equal and unbiased way. And so, for example, like I want to pay someone who's doing the same job in San Francisco and Tennessee the same amount of money. But I think in wartime and in in crisis, it's okay to tap a system's different states and to say like, are there people in the system who happen to have an extraordinary amount of privilege who are able to get away with X, Y, or Z who can help, you know, who maybe are willing to take a, a you know, a pay cut or what have you. Um, where others, maybe that would be more disruptive to their situation. And I don't know that that has to happen to anybody without their consent, but it could be something that we step into. And you do see occasionally right now, you know, CEOs and C-suites stepping forward and being like, we're taking a 90% pay cut because we make $6 million a year and like, you know, we're fine. Um, But I think there are other smaller, more, you know, more unique ways of, of seeing that play out across a system or a small business and also ways that we can help each other that are not so direct. So, you know, when it comes to compensation and to providing for ourselves and for each other, you know, we could be cooking together. We could be sharing, you know, resources. We could be helping people um, navigate systems they haven't navigated before. I know, you know, we just uh, went through some of the SBA stuff that's related to some of the government programs, and I found it um, to be quite taxing to navigate. And I was mm-hmm. like, imagine being a restaurateur. Imagine being someone that hasn't had the advantages I've had and some of the education that I've had trying to navigate this. Like, think about who else in your system might need help you know, getting through those things and getting the support that they need, or even being set up to receive stimulus payments or anything like there's all kinds of stuff going on, where we can be helping each other out in an unbalanced way. So I guess just, you know, plus one to what you were saying. Yeah, and I like the idea of asking groups of people how to solve the problem. I mean, I worked for a large consultancy right out of college and I was there when the tech bubble burst and that had huge, Mm -hmm. huge impact on the number of clients we had and how much those clients were paying. And so there was a lot of talk and ultimately there were furloughs and things like that. And I remember very distinctly having a conversation with a partner there. Um, You know, I was like 22 and making like $4 and uh, I was completely (laughs) freaking out about getting furloughed. And he was like, I've been like 110% utilized for four years. I would be delighted to go home for six months. 
And like, yes, yes. if that means that you can stay here and get paid, great. That's really a great byproduct. Either way, I'd be delighted to go home and not get paid for six months. So it's just like put the problem in the middle of the table for a lot of minds to admire and see what they come up with. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And on the other side of this equation, um, I know that we have been talking a little bit about, you know, hardship or combat pay and things like that. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean... I don't have a hard and fast idea about this, but certainly it does feel to me like right now there are a lot of people who are still going to work in offices and in other places who are dealing with more than just their jobs. You know, they're Mm -hmm. dealing with Mm -hmm. how to have their kids at home, how to deal with the sort of extraordinary external circumstances of life. And then there's also like the real FOGO that's happening, which is like the fear of going out. And so you combine those things. And if I'm someone who works at Whole Foods and I'm making, you know, whatever, $12 an hour, and I have to fight through my anxiety and then also figure out what to do with my kid, like that sucks real bad for me right now. And, you know, I, as a, as a consumer, I feel like I appreciate that those people are making it happen and whatever those companies or we can be doing to provide above and beyond for the people who are having to serve during this crisis, we should be like, we should be looking at what that is and, uh, and having those conversations, especially because a lot of those people, not all, but a lot of those people are people who don't have a choice and who are paycheck to paycheck and, you know, don't really want to go to their cashier at target job, but like, cannot make rent if they don't. So they're essential and it's essential. It's wild because what you're talking about really highlights the, the true kind of systems level complexity and interdependence that we're always talking about. Mm -hmm. And it also highlights, you know, real uh, inequality. So the idea that like, you know, they're doing this really hard thing, like, uh, you know, a a healthcare worker on the front lines or or a grocery worker or an Instacart delivery person, they're more at risk. They're doing something that is that, you know, that we wouldn't want to do. And they're doing it for the same amount of money they made, you know, five weeks ago, 10 weeks ago. Um, And so and so the the immediate answer to that is like, oh, well, we should just pay them more. Well, we're also interconnected who can afford to pay them more, right? And the answer is only people who have extraordinary privilege. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is, first of all, if you have done really well for yourself, it's really on you right now to show up Mm -hmm. because you you make a difference in the equation in a way that I think matters a lot. And so, you know, not at all to toot horns on the Dignan household or anything, but like we've had conversations about, you know, who are the people that normally work in and around our house that we can pay anyway, Mm -hmm. because I'm still getting paid. And who are the people that when they deliver something to us, we can pay, you know, normally a lot more than we would normally offer as a gratuity, because we we really want to recognize what's going on. At the same time, I feel like what a terrible solution that is, that like we have to rely on people who have done really well to take care of the less fortunate in a crisis when they are essential feels like kind of a shitty OS. It like that's a shitty a great, systems design. No, it's it's like no different than when we talk about in a company heroic leadership or relational strength being yes. the thing that gets you through. It's a muscling right. through of it's shit brittle. design. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, this exactly. is no different. Like go fund me. Great. And like, yes, every day people in our house are giving money to people all over the place. And that is, that is a, 
very fragile and tenuous system yeah. for us all to live it's in. Evidence, it's evidence of a breakage. And I think to bring it back to the, the sort of focus of our podcast and back to the focus of this series, the takeaway here is if anyone in your business ecosystem is not able to navigate this, there might be signal there. Yes. Right. And the signal might be that like, maybe your cashiers are underpaid. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, you haven't thought about resiliency correctly. Maybe the way that money is spread out and, you know, you're thinking about dividends and stock buybacks and all this stuff. Maybe that doesn't pencil quite as well in a, in a pandemic. And that's a great moment. For, this is like a really good chance to look in the mirror at your system and say, like, how's it doing? And how are our people doing in the realm of their ability to survive and thrive yes. amidst this? And if you are in a position where you've just been, you know, um, extremely unfairly targeted by this virus, then the answer might be like, we, there's nothing we can do. Like we're so, you know, if you're a cruise ship, I like, there's very little you're going to be able to do to really make it all add up. But if you're a Whole Foods and you're in great demand right now, in theory, everybody should be doing well. And I think that that is, you know, that's the bar that we need to rise to. If you're an Amazon and your top executives are making 1,000 times as much as your frontline workers, maybe you should have a look-see and see if that feels yeah, right. Yeah, just a look. Just yeah, take a look just, and just do sense a quick into that. And see. <laughs> see if that feels, yeah, I like feels it. good. All right. Soapbox uh, tucked away never, for a moment. I'm never putting it away. <laughs> I live on this um, box now. Perfect. The other thing that I was thinking about this sort of about creative problem solving, and and a lot of this ties back to that, like ask people and see what they come up with. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I've heard that I really like right now is if you are in a position where the people that work with and around you have some measure of stability, some support, some savings, some ability to operate without, um, you know, paycheck to paycheck support, there are some interesting options available right now where you can be trading things like equity for cash. Mm-hmm. So if you're a startup, if you're a private enterprise, if you're, you know, if you're in a position to do this, imagine being like, all right, well, because of what's going on for a year, we need to cut our comp in half. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, who can who can sort of trade with yeah, us and say, that? all right, well, now I'll take, yeah, I'll take I'll take increased ownership. And what I like about that is that um, it means that on the other side we have a more participatory system, right? More governance, more ownership, more, you know, we're sort of more decentralized in power than we were when we started. What I don't like about that is that once again, it does privilege the people that can afford to do that, right? Yes. And so there is a little bit of a, of a systemic knock-on effect. But if you're up against the wall and it's go out of business or figure something out, I think that's a pretty clever thing to bring to the table, which is like, hey, for every dollar you don't charge me right now, I'm going to give you a dollar in a stake in this company. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that opens up a lot of cool doors, I think, coming out of this. And to tie those two things together, can you do that for the people who are incredibly lucky and privileged in service of continuing to pay the people who are not? Totally. Exactly. Yeah. And maybe they end up, you know, staying at full rack rate or even combat pay like we were talking about before. I think I, I just I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing some of the clever combinations of approaches companies took to get through it. And then are so successful on the other side. I, yes. I really am looking forward to reading those articles that was like, they did this and they did that and they took from this to give to this person and they made it all happen. And then now here they stand on the other end and everybody's like better than ever. Like I yes. really do. I think right now survival is the most important thing because the one the one thing you can't come back from is the mistake that you don't get a second at bat. 
And, you know, we recently just had a, a place closed that's downtown in Denver that's been around for like 25 years that basically just said we're not coming back. And it was like front page news around here because it's such an institution. And it just hit me that like, we're going to see a lot more of that. We're going to see a lot more of like that, that, that coffee shop that you always used to go to with your dad and have conversations. That's not there anymore. And it's never coming back. And so to the extent that we can be clever about this now, um, I think, you know, I think it's worth it. And, you know, we, the companies need to survive for the people to to stay employed. So that's that's job one. And for the people who are solving these current cash flow issues creatively, we would love to hear about them. And just to the earlier point, be publicizing that you know, wherever yes. you can be, because, uh, you know, there are so, so many organizations who are in exactly the same situation and trying to figure out what levers to pull. And if you're in a very traditional organization, you're just like, well, no bonuses this year. And then we look <laughs> at salary reduction and then we look at furloughs and then we look at reduction in headcount. But there are lots of other ways to play this if we get creative and we get more flexible about it. So if you're in the kind of organization that is tinkering and experimenting and finding your way to something that looks a little bit different, uh, be pushing that out there. Yeah. And tweet it at us. I mean, if you tweet that to at the ready, um, what we can get a good conversation going. I'd love to see more people sharing what they're trying and what they're seeing. Because again, back to experimentation and emergence and complexity, you know, parallel experiments right now are going to be the jam. That's, that's where the insights are going to happen and they're going to come from the fringe. So if you're figuring something out about how you pay people, about how you keep people paid, about how you keep people, you know, supported in their livelihood, um, you know, hit us up, hit us up on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. The flip side of this coin, of course, is that there are some number of businesses that are doing incredibly well right now uh, because no of what is happening in the environment. And so I don't have a good answer to this at all. But if I am working inside one of those companies and I'm seeing unprecedented growth as a result of the stay at home orders or as a result of working in healthcare or for whatever reason, how should I be thinking about compensation? Like, do we want to be extractive and just like we get rich because we <laughs> happened to be in the right corner of the market when all of this stuff went down? Right, right. It's such an interesting question because it's it's strategic and it's it's about timing and it's about values. I think, you know, there's no question that there are certain industries right now, people that are making and delivering food, people that make and deliver video games. I mean, the list goes on where it's like, Business is Boom. rushed. Yeah. And and so and so I think there's a couple ways to look at this. One is because of that demand, there's some un there's some unusual things happening inside the system and and unusual skills that are required, unusual pressures, unusual hours. So I think to the extent that you're asking people to do more or you're trying to find people that can do the unprecedented, I think you do have to pay. Like to your point about combat pay, what's the difference between somebody trying to keep a server up? that has to be doing the 23 hour workday and somebody that is, you know, on the front lines trying to do something else to help people. Like it's all part of the puzzle right now. And we could, you know, obviously debate the, you know, who gets the most brownie points, but I think like hard work is hard work. So to the extent that you're going above and beyond, I think there's a need to honor that and recognize that with, with compensation or with equity or with whatever. 
Um, I do think, though, that a lot of those companies, from what I'm seeing, are doing a pretty good job of not requiring that, of actually just like using a lot of the practices we talk about on this show to keep the ships running and not have to blow up a 40 hour week too much for too many, you know, for too many folks in their workforce. So that and I've, I've seen, you know, notes directly to that effect from the CEO of several of these companies where they're like, go home to your families. You know, this is it does not have to be a 16 hour day. So I think that, um, you know, where it has to happen, it should be recognized. I also think that it's a really good example of just playing the complexity game by looking at where you are now versus where you want to be then. And in this particular pandemic, in this particular moment, video games are not affected. Okay, great. So you get, you're going to get to put some powder in the keg for next time. But if you don't save that, if you're not conservative with that, then you're giving up on the chance to have that next time. I actually think that's how we've gotten into this situation in several industries in the first place, right? If you don't have enough savings, if you spend every dime you make on stock buybacks, if you are constantly thinking the world needs to turn on you know, a 30-day cash-in, cash-out cycle and you're running lean, you're not going to do well in an environment like this. And so my advice to most of those firms would be, hey, you know, take some off the table. This is your moment. Recognize people who are doing Herculean things or who have really unusual skills. I mean, certainly the people that are fixing Zoom security right now are probably being paid very well and should be. Um, but like beyond that, really think about what you're going to do next time because it's this is a moment to get more disciplined and more conservative, not in your strategy, not in the way you deploy, not in your innovation, but in the way you think and handle, think about and handle money. And so I, you know, to the extent that you feel like you are not armed for the time that it's going to come for you, I think it's a great moment to say, like, let's change our approach and have a little bit more powder in the keg for next time, because we're not always going to be the one that has this advantage. And it doesn't have to be, you know, extreme. But um, if you've been running lean and you're in a moment of, of, of success, it's a good time to, to hold up. And we say this a lot. We've said this a lot in the Ready for Anything series, but this is a good practice, whether you are uh, in this moment or not, I think it's a really good time to reorient around your customer rather than your shareholders. If you (laughs) happen to be one of those organizations that is just killing it right now, and you are providing a service that maybe people are having more difficulty affording right now, or are finding necessary, but don't really have the income to be supporting, what are you doing for those people? If you're Mm -hmm. seeing 200% growth in this quarter because of the pandemic, what are you doing for those customers that you wouldn't normally with the surplus that you have found yourself with? And I'm not saying give it all away. And I know that we're not all like running philanthropies here and you are benefiting from human suffering right now, no matter who you are, if you're doing exceptionally well, just like we are. That's just true. So what responsibility do we have to the people who continue to foot the bill? And how can we be serving them when we think about how we are using our profits? I love that. And if you call back to our strategy episode, if you have a strategy, for example, about market share, Mm -hmm. what a great moment to give away, to Mm -hmm. get more people in the tent, to do what it takes to just support the system. Because on the other side of this, you're going to have a lot more customers, right? And you're going to have a lot more people who know and love what you what you offer. And luckily, unfortunately, I have seen a lot of businesses step up to that by extending their trials, extending their free plans and how you know how that all works. So it does seem like at least on the tech side, people are getting that. Yes, I'm not so sure in the rest of the economy that everybody's seeing that opportunity quite as clearly. 
Yes. And, you know, tech in many instances is the place where that is feasible right now. And and I have seen the same and been really delighted to see the number of organizations that have figured out how to give their product to the people who need it or give it at steeply discounted prices. And I think that's really awesome. I, I just think we do have an imperative to be thinking that way. Agreed. And on that track of how to think ahead and how to kind of play for the longer game here, I kind of want to finish by just observing that, you know, market-based pay and thinking about comp as a thing that's very driven by the market and what's fair and what's equitable and what's unbiased is a moving target. And let's keep our eyes on the horizon about how that's going to move coming out of this, right? So the likelihood that like everybody in your company is going to make the same salaries and wages that they did in 2019, in 2021, I think has to be pretty low. Because there's so many moving pieces here and so many industries and and roles and and functions that are going to be affected. So there's almost a, a, a PSA here to, you know, keep noticing and keep tracking and keep listening to like, what is happening? What's happening to a software developer's wages right now? What's happening to supply and demand there? What's happening to, you know, both what supply and demand tells us about a, you know, grocery clerk's wages. And also what is our ethics and our morality telling us about that, right? Like the market is not just what people will pay. The market is what we expect. The market is what we allow. So I think just tuning into like, how is the market shifting and how are we going to either lead that shift, get ahead of that shift or be caught unawares by that shift is a, a note to end on, which is just be ready and be a leader so that you're the one that's kind of modeling what the what the new normal is on the other side of that where or on the other side of this whenever it comes. Yeah, I've been saying frequently make decisions right now that you'll be proud of later. <laughs> yes. And and what great life advice for any time, uh, but certainly this moment. Seems like a pretty good place to wrap it up on compensation and also uh, to wrap it up on this Ready for Anything series. We did it. That was so fun. It was fun. It was intense. Mm. Uh, It was rapid fire. It was off the cuff, if y'all couldn't tell. Like we were just, you know, we had 10 minutes to plan these before each one. (laughs) Um, Luckily, we had a lifetime to practice in the meantime. But, uh, you know, these this reflected uh, our views. I think, you know, if you if you had talked to any one of the other, you know, dozens of people in the ready, you probably would have heard, you know, different things, but hopefully spiritually aligned things. Um, And I'm a little nostalgic about it. Honestly, we haven't done a mini series before. And it feels like this little, you know, this little ending. I loved it. It was good. Maybe there will be another one. Hopefully not in response to another pandemic, but you never know. I, yeah, I'd like to do another miniseries in response to like an amazing cultural awakening. <laughs> <laughs> What's different now that everybody's woke? How will we use um, all of this bounty of wokeness? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, stay tuned yeah, for that one. <laughs> an abundance-focused fo- series. All right. Well, anyway, thanks for doing it with me. I know it's been a lot of work. It's been a good time. I'm glad we did. And uh, for those of you out there who have enjoyed the arc, this was our way of trying to give something back and to arm and tool those who uh, maybe aren't in a position to be our partners on the corporate side with tools you can use to survive this moment. So we really, really hope that it's been supportive uh, and thought-provoking for you. Uh, Please do leave us a review if you would. We appreciate them greatly. And uh, forward us on to somebody who needs it. It's not too late. The arc is just over. And sadly, the pandemic is not. So I think this will all be quite relevant for quite some time. 
yeah, hopefully we get you know a year of mileage out of these episodes. We'll see. But uh, the faster we the faster we put them to use, the faster we'll get over it. Uh, a usual and quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we get to help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. Um, if listening to this has inspired you to want to take action on your operating system in a more substantive way, you can email hello at theready.com. We can start a conversation about that. And as for you, the listener, thank you so much for listening to us. And please go change something. Please go change something.